Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Men's Room Podcast from TalkSport is proudly sponsored by Toolstation. If, like me, you love a little deal, then you can join the Toolstation Club today online, in-store or via the app, and you will save some money getting a 5% discount shopping with TalkStation, as well as a chance to get your hands on some fantastic prizes, such as TVs, gaming consoles, and even holidays. If you keep spending, you'll keep on saving. That's the TalkStation Club, so make sure you join today, online, in-store, or via the app. A Bosch. Welcome everyone to the men's room. Myself, Adi Oladipo, the great Rory Jennings. He is great, Rory Jennings. Look, we're going to talk about a subject that is going to be difficult for some, mental health. Um, if this subject is difficult for you, we have a number of other episodes that you can catch on the men's room. Um, so make sure you watch those ones. But if you're happy and wanting to stay and watch this subject, please do, because it is an important one. Uh, let's welcome in uh, Mind Ambassador. I'm scared that I'm going to butcher this surname, but we're going to give it a go here. Uh, Ro Klitscheren. Good effort, mate. I'm what, what is it, Ro? I would have gone Ran at the end. Would you have gone Ran? Ro Kalicharan, yeah. Yeah, so I bag on Rory, I'm not a little deeper, not quite. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. yeah. yeah. Um, mind ambassador. Yeah. Talk about that role before we get into everything. How did you become a mind ambassador? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, so I'm I'm actually a trustee um, uh, now at Mind, uh, but I've been ambassador for about ten years, um, and I really got involved through lived experience of uh, mental uh, mental ill health. Mm. So I was really ill for a long period of time for about 15 years, uh, very ill, undiagnosed. And it was MIND back at that time, around 2005, 2006, who gave me the support to um, try and rebuild when, um, uh, rebuild my life. When you say undiagnosed, it, has it subsequently been diagnosed? It has, yeah. Yep. So I've got, I've got a diagnosis of uh, bipolar disorder, right. um, but for about 15 years. And this was um, uh, back, in, back in the days of... Number one, not talking too much about mental health. Um, number two, being told to uh, man up. And, and number three, not really understanding uh, because bipolar actually, if you look at the symptoms of bipolar disorder, they often look just like someone who is behaving really antisocially or irresponsibly and then can't deal with the consequences. They really do look uh, like that because you can swing... Um, quite quickly in my case I had what they call rapid cycling between you know being almost on this irresponsible high where you're totally creative mm. you just you can't sleep for days you're constantly whizzing your heart rates up in my case I did kind of like, I was always kind of like partying always wanting company and then suddenly you'll go from that to being in a situation where you literally can't get out of bed um, uh, with with depression and 
to the world looking in. And for me, for 15 years, what that looked like was, well, here's someone who's just really lost the plot and then can't deal with uh, the consequences of it. So ultimately, you believe what the world tells you. Yeah. Um, I've heard Stephen Fry talking about bipolar. I think he's been quite open about his issues with it. And is it right in assuming them when things are when things are good, they're yeah. they're good, and you're on the up, and you're feeling happy? Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, I describe it sometimes as a false happiness. Right. Um, but yeah, when you when you're actually in that manic manic phase, there's all almost nothing or no one that can talk you down from it. So, you know, now I'd recognise myself going into a manic phase, and I very rarely get it, but. It typically starts with probably, as I said, that increased heart rate. And then I will sometimes feel a bit agitated. But then as I come off the agitation, then it is, it's this extreme, almost high mood. And, you know, I just want to keep on, you know, enjoying myself. Sometimes you can be extremely creative, um, but other times you just, um, you feel untouchable is probably the right way of uh, of putting it. And in, in my case, as I said, what, what that normally led to, I'd normally, you know, drink, reckless spending for sure. Right. I mean, I found myself in debt out out of this world. Um, uh, You know, for someone at my stage in life, I had so much debt, um, which really it took me until a couple of years ago to get my um, credit rating back on track from the age of 17. So that's a way in which it destroyed my life, really. And Um, you know, when you would then... The, the crash to refer to it yeah, I hope that's okay so when you would then crash would that be brought on what would that be brought on because of the reality check because of maybe the hangover because yeah. of maybe the reality of overspending Spot. you'd then suddenly go oh my yeah. god I'm in trouble Ab- absolutely and I mean um, I could take I can take the mick a little bit now in terms of the overspending I mean I um, I once spent a student loan and this was back in 1992 1993 I spent a student loan of 1100 quid in three hours um, wow. which back Must in those great, days yeah. that is some effort what were you what did you do I went to HMV and Foster's menswear okay so what really, you really basically impressive. bought every record uh, every every record was going that, was that and though, some great corduroy trousers <laughs> was that though to please other people was you doing that as a as you know now looking back as just to please people na- nail on head yeah. nail on head um I think I, I, around that same time, I spent 60 quid at a 50p a pint night. Mm. Um, and Just being overly probably, generous. Yeah, probably had about two or three um, pints myself. Um, and it was, it was, it was people pleasing. It was, it was rent a friend. Often it was, I talked about the agitation that mm. would come in at the start and then subside. But typically it would be verbally... Bro, can we can Don't we go back a few years? Seen. Apologies, can we go back yeah. to your childhood? If yeah. you don't mind me yeah, asking, um, because you mentioned that this started from when you were seventeen. Yeah. So, what was upbringing like? Upbringing, family up, house upbringing was upbringing was good. You know, um, uh, my, my dad, as we were we were talking about earlier, my dad was a professional sportsman um, for the West Indies. I mean, cricketers didn't earn a lot um, back then, but you know, my parents went without to make sure that I had. Um, dad was often away, but mum was ever present, you know. Um, uh, so I, I, I did, I had a happy, happy childhood, um, had mates, you know, I was an only child, but there were always mates around. I was always at the cricket ground. And then by the time I was about seven or eight, um, weekends, um, 
uncle, family friend. But, um, uh, he'd um, every every home game he'd start. I started going up to Anfield as um, uh, a seven or eight to watch um, uh, to watch Liverpool. Sometimes because back then rugby league was a winter sport, um, we'd stop at the um, uh, you know stop on the way back um, uh, and watch uh, Wigan rugby league on the Sunday. So. Back then, football was typically Saturday, three o'clock, um, and then the rugby league was on a Sunday. Sport heavy so upbringing, sport, father sport of heavy, professional and I, athlete, I loved and then, it. Yeah. yeah, loved it. And uh, you know, I played, I played a decent level myself back uh, back then. So I was, I was happy academically. I was doing well. I was um, inverted commas well adjusted. Um, Were you living in you know, London? No behavioural. No, I was um, up in Birmingham because uh, Dad was playing for Warwickshire. So right. uh, grew, grew up, grew up there. But yeah, I was, I was, I was a happy kid, and then. I had probably about the age of 16 that I first felt, you know what, I, I'm just not, I'm not the same kid I was a couple of couple of years ago. I, I became a bit more withdrawn, mm. um, a bit more angry. No trigger. Um, no trigger. No, trigger. no. no just, at that well, time. So you're talking late 80s, early 90s, yeah. racism? Yeah, we we all grew up with it. I was protected from it to a point. Yeah. And in a way that has fed into the longer story, I think, because ultimately I'm a West Indian kid um, and a very humble West Indian kid at that. Growing up in a fairly affluent white area, mm. which meant that the English folk looked at me and said, yep, you're black. The black West Indians looked at me and said, well, no, you look Indian. Yeah. The Indians looked at me and said, well, you don't speak our language. You're not one of us. So I'm kind of like, well, I don't know who I am. Yeah. Um, I genuinely, so if I, I didn't feel that then, no. I didn't feel that then. Um, I feel it now. And I think it's a big part of the story, that lack of belonging, because we all need to belong somewhere. Um, uh, you know, we really do. But I think it was... Mum and dad were going going through a divorce and it it wasn't a great time at home around, around then. But again, I think that may have been a trigger and a catalyst. The um, divorce. Yeah. So I, it's amazing how often I hear that now. Like, you know, when the, when I talk to, I'm getting to an age now where some of my mates are getting divorced. Yeah. Even when you think it's fine, it's, it's like my, my parents were divorced, but they were, I was a baby and like I was, yeah. I wasn't even one. So I don't, you know, I never lived with my dad in my entire life. I never yeah. lived with my dad, so it never really affected me. How old were you when your parents got divorced? Um, so by the time it went through, I was 18. But it, right, started, but it, started, it yeah. started going, I suppose it probably started going wrong a lot earlier. Mm. But again, back in those days, the values typically more so than now was parents stayed together yeah. for the children. Mm. And I kind of like, look, if I, if I could say anything to my mum and dad now, it would be... Oh wow! I really? wish you'd have just um, walked and split when you should have done. Yeah. Because actually, it didn't do them any good, and it certainly did me no good. Uh, but there's no there's no bitterness or anger there because mm. it, you know it was all the best in best intentions. They did what they thought was right. Did you immediately? So you went to university and you were fine at university in terms of your academic performance. No. So if I, I again, if I go if I go back to say age 17, um, I asked at school, um, I spoke to one of my teachers that I could trust. And I said, look, I just, something's not right. I'm, you know, I, I don't like hanging out with anyone anymore. I'm angry. I'm not concentrating on my, my work. You know, home's getting me down. 
and he was he was just kind of like, look, don't worry, you're going to be heading off to uni soon. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Man up for eighteen months, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Went to speak to the family GP, and he was kind of like, yeah, mum and dad are going through a divorce. Look, you'll be out of here soon enough. Yeah. You're you're a bright kid. You've got everything you need. Man up, you'll yeah. be, be be fine. So you listen to people in in authority, um, and I did pass my A levels flying colours. Um, and then I go off to uni, um, and that's where really it all begun to to really implode. Um, and again, I think probably within a couple of months, I knew in myself that something just wasn't wasn't right. And I, I did go down to um, go down to the new GP down there, and he was again that similar. Well, it's your first time that you've left home. Yeah. Um, so actually, you know, you're just taking a while to settle into your new surroundings. Don't worry about it. You, you're going to be just, just fine. But actually by then it wasn't fine. I wouldn't say that any of my friends at that time were racist whatsoever, but they certainly couldn't understand life through the lens that, that, that I was coming from. They couldn't understand that I'd grown up my whole life being told that I had to be three times better than than they had to be if I was going to make anything in life. Um, and that's a big, big weight to carry on your shoulders. Mm. Um, so they couldn't understand that. And that ultimately becomes, again, that barrier to asking for help. So I'd ask for help, um, you know, as we spoke about, I asked for help when I was younger. But when that help didn't come, I looked in the mirror and said, well, if no one's going to help you, there's so are no, you point, creating no point then like asking an again. Alter ego. Like, what, like, are you creating something that's not real then just to fit in and just to kind of carry on with life? And ultimately that was the alter ego that would manifest itself in my manic state. The one who was carefree, super happy, um, could spend money like nobody's business, untouchable. Because in those moments, I felt that that's, in those moments, I, f I felt as if I belonged with, you know, with these guys around me. And nothing could have been further further from the truth. Um, and then, of course, when the crash does come, you, you, you know, you look, you look yourself in the mirror and that despair, that self-loathing, begins begins to kick in because by now the, the long and short of it is when I went to uni back then I failed first year three times where were you um, I went to Southampton right. um, great place um, back then it was the Dell rather than St Mary's yeah. I had some good afternoons there actually <laughs> um, but you know I, I failed first year th um, three times because ultimately I was in no fit state to ever go to lectures because I was either in a manic or I was depressed and not able to leave my bed. So ultimately um, it was, a, and it was a period where I broke friendships galore. Um, I got into this spiral of debt and ultimately it's where I also started self-harming. Um, oh. And that's what I was just about to say. Was there a crush? Like, you know, for you to have the moment of being involved in the company like mind, yeah. was there a crescendo of, that, and I suppose the crescendo probably lasted three or four years. 
Um, right. You know, over- so you were self harming at university. Did yeah. anybody know? Did your friends know that? No, because um, it wasn't um, the archetypal, um, the stereotype yeah. that we have of uh, I own, self-harm. Uh, yeah. So in my head, there is one. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't that stereotype that right. I was using. I'd actually beat myself up. Um, so I, I, I kind of like, I beat myself up, black and blue. Um, I, I punched myself to the point yeah. of breaking my wrist. Right. Um, apologies for any listeners um, for that for whom that's a trigger. Just being as honest as possible. No, I think it's that, important to that, it's important to try and tell this story as accurately yeah, as possible. And, and that was that was a hatred I had for um, you for myself. Did, did you ever have a journal? No, and uh, I in a, in a way um, I remember my, I remember so much of it lucidly, but I'm I'm very glad that I didn't. I, I say that just because when I um, I went into a homeless hostel when I was 19, 18, 19. So I went to a homeless hostel and in that hostel, it was, it was split between, it was 140 of us. So it was 70 males, 70 females, but in you're in a homeless hostel, doors are getting kicked off. It was very, very violent. So I remember- Kicked off because of crime in there by police? No, crime within- Oh, people robbing- Yeah, between itself. It was a hostel for 18 to 24 year olds. So you can only imagine what 18 yeah. to 24 year olds are getting involved with in the hostel. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to have to then almost morph into this gangster character to survive this hostel. But it was so difficult to keep that sort of face up. I'd write a journal of what was really going on in my head, if that makes any sense. Yeah of like just shutting that door. So I'd get home and, you know, you go through all the bad boys and it was getting you. But then as soon as I get into my room, I remember it now, 94, since I get into my room, I shut that door and like, and then I'd write a journal of the day. Sounds of, like you've both done the similar thing though. Of, you've of both that. Created so you've done characters. it that way. My way was I've got to write a journal because I'm to survive this, it was almost like a prison to survive this prison for the next four years are going to be difficult. Wow. So then I joined gangs cause that almost felt like, okay, I've got to join them. Yeah. I've got to join them to be cool and be okay with it. And it might've been, it sounds stupid now, but I've, I've got quite a lot of t- t- tattoos. Yeah. So it might've been, even that might've played in my head in a weird way of get tattoos, be a bit gangster and you'll get through this hostel slash homeless place. But I, th- I think it's, we'll do anything as human beings typically just to feel some sense of belonging. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a, r- a runner now. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've, part of how I got in, got back involved in mind um, uh, about 2012 or so was I wanted to um, uh, raise some money for them. Nothing more than that. Um, I had no um, preconceptions about becoming an ambassador trustee or being on the journey that I've ended up on, but I wanted to raise some money with them and I'd taken up running. Um, and I've, I've, I've been fortunate now. I've run uh, a, f- a f- good fair few marathons um, uh, for the charity, which is great because it's great for my mental health as well. Yeah. But, you know, if I, if I look back... Um, now at that you know that whole that that whole journey I'd been running um, you know I suppose proverbially but I'd been running all my life because I was I was running from the shame Um, I was running from broken friendships and relationships I was running from the despair that I was putting my 
parents through. I was running from debt at one point. I was running from the police as well. I, I was, well, I wasn't quite ever on the run, but mm. you know, I, I was running from every single thing that I. I'd Do you done. still run? No, no. Um, I run, yeah, yeah, but, but run I'm, away I'm from it. things. I'm not run. running away from anything now. I I run to it. Yeah. Um, I, I it's so important. You, Rory will, will tell you like my communications awful. And it's, it's funny because hopefully he doesn't think it's just him. I, I do it to everyone. Like my mum gets completely upset about it. And, and it's weird how um, I certainly still run away from things. I don't know why I do it. I don't know how I do it. I just, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's living alone, but I go home and I definitely 100% shut the door yeah. and that's it. I don't want to hear from anyone. I don't want to speak to anyone. And I feel bad because we've obviously built up a friendship and he doesn't understand sometimes. I'm like, dude, I messaged you like, what's wrong with you respond back and I see it and I promise you I do want to mm. respond to you I see it I, I want to respond but it's weird how my mind just shuts away and I've definitely lost partners good friends family members to this day to this day and I'm just, don't worry I I know it and so I try to overcome it but I still run 100 percent yeah hold that please level five thank you Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Men's Room Podcast on TalkSport is proudly sponsored by Toolstation. This is your little reminder that you can join the Tool Station Club today online, in-store, or via the app. You might be thinking, why would I sign up? But I'm glad you asked. At Tool Station, if you keep spending, you keep on saving. Signing up means that not only will you get a lovely 5% discount shopping with Tool Station, but there are thousands of prizes to be won. So that's the Tool Station Club, so make sure you join today online, in-store, or via the app. A couple of times you've mentioned... Going to Anfield, yeah. off camera we've spoken about football and the importance that it's been in your life. Do you belong at Anfield? Do you feel Big at home there? <laughs> Where do you sit when you go? Um, I'm, I'm typically in the um, the main stand towards the cop end. Right. The, uh, above, above the corner. Is that back. a home, sort of um, maybe a spiritual home? Is that... Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the minute I set foot off the train at Lime Street Station <laughs> and I look up and see that clock, mm. I feel... I'm home. I always describe home can be 
two places for me. It's number one, anywhere where I'm with my wife, mm -hmm. because that is my home. That's where belong. I'm, I'm meant to be. And it's where I told, um, uh, told her I'd be till death um, us do part. And then at Anfield. Mm. Those two places where I have that huge sense of uh, belonging. And football is, is such an interesting one because I, I always talk to people and say, you can be in a crowded room full of people and you can feel like the most alone, lonely person mm. um, there's, there's ever been. And I probably do the flip side um, when I'm when I'm at Anfield, so typically, I mean, I spend loads of time before the game and after the game catching up with my friends, etc. Because mm. that is the one place where I know I stay connected. Because a lot of the time, I'm like Ade, I, I I I like my my own space. So other than when I'm with my wife, I will often have my friends saying, "When are you coming out? Where have mm. you texted? You know, I work hard during the day, and I need that time just to process." And I need that time in four walls by myself just to um, process life around me. But going back to football, it's I typically sit on my own. Very rarely will I sit with someone that, mm. um, that I know I've got to see on my own. Um, obviously, I'm not on my own because it's a stadium of mm. uh, 60,000. But, but you feel part of ultimately, it. Ultimately, yeah. that, that's it. I get this magical world where I get to be belong part mm. of something absolutely massive part of you know part of what it means to support liverpool football club much in the same way as it will be for you when you're at stamford bridge yeah. you're you're part of this incredible force but yet i get to whilst being part of it still be able to just have that alone processing yeah. time yeah. we've got to this point in life where we have created um, this full state of anxiety because we're constantly worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you're worried about who's going to be on the show this afternoon. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're panicking about something that we didn't do yesterday. Yeah. Um, so we, we're constantly, we're constantly forcing this, this state of anxiety and worry on ourselves. Um, and you've got to find something every day um, and I mean, it was the focus of a campaign that I did with Mind and Heads Together a couple of years ago when, before the FA Cup ties, um, they, um, they showed the video around um, mental, uh, mental health um, for a minute before yeah, each yeah, of the yeah, third round cup it. ties. Yeah. And it was all focusing on taking a minute to understand what are the things which actually allow you to benefit for your mental well-being? What allows you just to live in the moment just for those you know, brief few seconds um, a day, hopefully more than that. And, yeah. you know, for some people it might be cooking, it might be reading, it might be hanging out with uh, mates. Um, often I've used running, but actually the one time when suddenly I don't care about work, I don't care about anything else for those 90 minutes, yeah. it's about that time with, with your friends mm connecting i know when we were we were speaking off air earlier and ado was saying because a lot of the time he watches a game on tv on his own actually a very difficult experience when the result probably doesn't go as yeah. you expect it to the one for me which is within five minutes yeah. we're back having a chat 
having a beer before I jump on the train back home and it's kind of like well you know by what? that point you're having an argument with someone on social media <laughs> I'm, arg- social I'm media arguing thing, to myself yeah. if I'm honest with you yeah. can I quickly yeah. ask how long have you been married I'm married for nearly four years and how long have you known your wife um, about six years how, how comfortable and how how difficult how easy was it for you to have this conversation with her about the self-harming and sort of what you've been through from the ages of 17 to the late 30s it's actually a quite amusing story. Um, we were on our first date um, and we got, we got chatting. She, she used to work um, at a church in the, uh, in the city of London. Um, and it was at that church that one of mine's corporate partners, a law firm, did their um, uh, Christmas event back in around 2015. And I'd spoken at that um, Christmas event on behalf of Mind about uh, mental health um, uh, at, at the time. And, you know, we're on our first date. She's kind of like, you look familiar. I know, I know you yeah. from some, somewhere. And she just said, did you ever speak at a church about uh, mental health? And I'm kind of like, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> this is not a first date conversation. <laughs> so I, I start going off on one and telling her the whole story. And she was kind of like, I didn't need to know that. I didn't, I, she just, she just said, I knew you'd spoken, but I didn't know what you'd spoken about. So ultimately it became a very, very easy first date. Um, well, not an easy first date conversation for me, but it kind of like first date, it was out there, which was that's great. What, that's because, good though, isn't it? Oh, it, done, it, yeah. it was. And uh, she's the most incredible woman when it comes to understanding um, my triggers um, encouraging me to continue doing the work that I do with with mind. You know, I've, I have had some challenges with my mental health the last couple of years. Um, I went through a prolonged period of anxiety and depression last summer. Um, Was there a reason? And a combination of things. Work wasn't uh, particularly um, uh, great at the time. Um, and in fact, you know, my wife herself had gone through uh, bereavement. So, um, you know, I think... Again, it came back to that man thing, actually, of feeling incapable at that time because work was really a huge burden on my shoulders. Um, and I knew what, you know, it was impacting on my mental health and feeling almost incapable of um, looking, after my, looking after my wife when she needed me most. I, I always find if I'm going through something, whether it be mental health or depression or anxiety, whatever word we want to use, and I don't know the trigger... That's my biggest problem. Like someone, my sister might ask me, what's wrong? And like, work's good and social life is good. Money's in the bank. Gym's good. All the, Liverpool are doing well. And then I'm like, I, I don't know, but I'm feeling a certain way. And I can never really answer that question. I never know what the trigger is. But it's also great that you can acknowledge when things aren't great. Yeah, I can just feel it. I just, yeah, yeah I can just sense. Yeah. It is because it, when your mental well-being's off, physically is where you get the telltale signs mm. you're either you know totally fatigued or i know if i'm going perhaps into a state of manic or if i'm going into a state of anxiety my heart rate goes through the roof i can't eat uh, normally i eat everything that, that moves <laughs> i actually quite quite adversely um running is the thing that's so good for man for my mental well-being but when my mental well-being is bad, I can't run because mm. typically my anxiety is up so high that I can't bear the thought of doing something which increases my heart oh, right. rate even further. Yeah. So I kind of like, 
you know, if I've not been sleeping and I wake up, my heart rate's going boom, boom, boom. And I'm kind of like, I can't run. I've, I've just, and I've learned now at that point that I can still take a nice, you know, couple of mile walk into work rather than running in or yeah. just go for a walk in the morning, often listening to this podcast. Um, uh, and, you know, just being able to walk and list. So again, it's learning about different coping mechanisms yeah. when, when you see it. But I know you're so right because, Again, we all we all want to understand what's going on, and when it when it hits you, and you kind of like, well, actually, everything seems everything seems fine. What what's causing this? And sometimes we just have to understand. Actually, with mental well being, it can hit anyone at any given time, and um, all we can do sometimes. And I think it's really key, one of the key things that I always say to people is try and reframe the conversation because we always talk about mental health but the minute we talk about mental health most people think about mental illness mental ill health and actually i'd really like us to get to a point where we're really talking about mental well-being so you know you imagine with your physical well-being you know what's going to be like you talked about going to the gym first mm. of january the whole world's in the gym mm. yeah. and five fruit and veg a day is just not enough mm. give me 25 um because everyone's on this magical health kick now ultimately none of that's going to stop you getting ill but what it will do is it's going to make you healthier mm. um you know the healthier we are if we rest you know if we sleep if we eat healthy if we if we train etc if something goes wrong, you're probably going to have a much better chance of recovering because you're boosting your, your, your resilience. And it's the same with our mental health. It's kind of like we've got to reframe the conversation to stop just talking about mental ill health. We've got to talk about boost, boosting our mental well-being um, to the point that it doesn't mean that we're not going to be among the one in four people this year who will suffer a mental ill health problem whether it be depression anxiety whether it be something beyond beyond that but whatever happens in most cases if you've been building your mental resilience with the right things i if you are sleeping well if you are connected to people and talking to them if you've got your coping mechanisms the reality is when that hits you've got a much better chance of actually dealing with it and being able to overcome it. And I think that's where we've got to start reframing, reframing the conversation. And again, it's where football comes in because for me, you know, when I'm, when I'm at the match with, with my mates, it's when we just have, we just have honest, raw conversations. Um, and I love it because I've grown up being told we've had it for so long thrown at us that men can't talk about stuff like this. The three of us here are proving, proving different. Mm. We're, you know, we're constantly told men can't be vulnerable, but you know, when I'm, when I'm at the match, believe me, I've got a group of mates and we really can be vulnerable and raw among each other. And it's can a we, really um, special thing. Can we have an honest conversation about the term man up? And uh, like me and Rory have spoken about it. I'm very honest about my own sort of depression, anxiety, but I also feel that term man up is there a place for it maybe not the term because i feel like the term now has been sort of diluted where it's become a negative term but there, there has to be surely a term or a, or a thing of men 
get on with it. Is there a place for that? So, crikey, put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a time to to push our resilience to the next. Yes. There is a time to to continue building our resilience, which is exactly that. I think it's a conversation you can have with yourself. Mm. A conversation when you know honestly, actually, what more can I can can I do here? Mm. What you know, what what more can I do, or who can I ask to come on this journey with me? So, definitely wouldn't use the phrase. So it's yeah, not a phrase that no, we I should know. throw at each other. Definitely, so it's more within yourself. It's a phrase within mm. yourself mm. that you can say. Yeah, actually, I know that. I don't need I've to got a bit more here. here. I've, go got, I've got more or I've got people and tools around me. And I think that's the thing. That's why it's not man up. It could be friend up. It yeah. could be tool up. It could be tool up. Sounds really weird. Yeah, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But you can't go. <laughs> yeah. What are you Let's rephrase yeah. that one. Yeah. 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 It's man up, yeah. well-being kit up. You know, whatever it is. There's a lot. There's there are, it's that moment when you know actually, yeah, I've I have got more at my disposal that that, mm. that I can use. And as friends, I I always used to um, tell tell the story. I I had three mates in particular as I was continuing to go on, you know, my my recovery journey. And so going back, and I think we we probably not uh, not covered it, which is great um, for me. But you know, I, I had three three attempts on my own life. Um, and the last of those attempts on my own life was in January of 2006. For the first few years after, I didn't really talk to anyone because I thought it was still at that time when mental health was very taboo. Um, and it was also a time when, yeah, I felt ashamed of it. And I was, I was learning to be, to be a man, um, almost as a, I was a child in a man's body because all I'd had was chaos from, you know, between the age of 16 and 32, as we've spoken about, I'd never known any kind of order in, in my life. I'd never done the normal things, holding down a job, paying rent, um, or, or a mortgage, feeding myself regularly, just doing, just functioning like, what the world thinks is a responsible, normal, normal human being. And, you know, it got to that. I was just, I just needed to almost learn how to do that. Um, and I was making new friends. I was beginning to hold down um, employment. I was just getting back on my feet and it was kind of like, well, let's, we don't need to tell anyone about this. We don't, you know, let's, let's just, quietly re- rebuild life but I, I, I remember in time and uh, you know I, I'm always open my Christian faith is hugely important to me and I remember being in church the one time World Mental Health Day and they were talking about counselling services um, that that they had close by etc and I remember walking out and just thinking hold on I'm, I'm actually denying myself I'm denying my full self here I'm not telling people who I am um, and I actually, you know, need to share this with other people. I need to be my full, 
full self. And it was from there that I actually started doing some blogging with uh, Time to Change, which um, was has been, you know, one of the longest standing uh, campaigns, uh, joint venture with Mind Rethink um, and, and other charities around mental health to really challenge the stigma around mental health. And I remember at the time doing a blog post with them. And I said, I've got three kinds of friends. I've got, I've got the one who, if I'm, if I'm having a difficult time, I can go to, and he'll just be right, let's just go to the pub, watch the football. So he's the one that I go to if I don't want to talk about it at all. I just want some company, but I, I just want to feel yeah. normal, not think about the mental health aspect. Then I've got the guy who, um, he's the one who actually will, he'll give me therapy without me needing to go to a therapist because he'll ask me so many questions. I'm kind of like, by the end of it, I'm kind of like, whoa, where's, where's, where's that gone? But it's great because it, it gets me into that conversation with my feelings. Um, and then I had the third one, um, which comes back to the man up, apart from the fact that she was really, it was a she and she'd be womaning up, but she'd be the one who challenged me, right, do I have to worry about your mental health here? Or are you just having a really bad day like um, so many other people um, do in life? And it was in those moments that I'd really have to reflect and think, actually, yeah, this isn't about my mental health always. It's just like anyone else, I'm capable of having, having good days and really, really awful ones as well. Mm. So it's, it's kind of like there, that self-reflection allowing you to know, actually, what more can I do here? And there will be a time when you don't have the tools and you're going to say, actually, I need help. I need help from whether it's someone professional or one of those three friends. Yeah. I just need to... Uh, the one thing that I just tell anyone listening or watching this please 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 don't go this alone mm. because we've the one thing we have done we've not necessarily given people the tools and we definitely haven't got all of the resources in terms of you know what the nhs is able to provide but what the likes of mind have done is transform the landscape around mental health to the point where we can speak openly. Talking is the answer. Is if there's one thing that you take from from this podcast and you being open and honest enough to share your experiences, I think it's it's speaking to somebody and almost anybody. But make sure that you have the conversation. Make sure you have a conversation um, through the debts I had, etc. Like I have, I've had times when I've had nowhere to go at night. Um, I, you know, I, I slept out in Victoria Coach Station. Um, I've known the lowest of the low and I didn't ask for help because I was too scared. I was too proud um, and I was too isolated. And that's why ultimately I ended up attempting to take my life three times before I did get the help, the respect and the dignity ultimately from uh, you know from mind um, and it was them who actually were able to get lead me back into uh, the system to get the diagnosis and the diagnosis was the most liber liberating thing mm. thing ever just speak talk to someone speak just talk um, thank you so much honestly Frank. fascinating and look you mentioned sort of people being a champ and a superstar I think you've been a champ to be as open and honest as you've been on this podcast and there's no doubt people listening and watching this will be very, very happy that you've been as open as you've been. Um, 
I'm mind blown by some of that stuff. I feel like I've been through a lot and then I hear that and it's like, okay, um, you've been through a lot. Well, equally, you've, ins- you've inspired me. So uh, thank you both for having me. Uh, you're very kind. Thank you so much for coming on. Brilliant. Um, just before we wrap, in terms of people wanting to get in touch with Mind, I can see the sort of website there, social media handles. Is, is, mind, it, just, yeah. is it just Mind? Um, mind Charity yeah. um, on Twitter and um, Instagram. Mind, again, likewise on um Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. I think they've probably got TikTok channels, etc. now as mm. well. But if you go onto mind.org.uk, they've got, um, uh, you've got all the links to the info line, a lot of downloadable material. So um, start on the website and um, there's, there's plenty of spaces to go from there. Have you noticed there's an increase in sort of men phoning in, especially when people like your Tyson Furies talk about mental health and other sort of big name, high profile sort of, sort of really masculine men have sort of come out and said, I'm struggling mentally. Have you noticed more men phoning in, getting in touch? Bit of both. Probably, probably not enough. Mm. Um, what about from the black start, community? So absolutely not enough. Yeah, no way. Um, and, you know, we, we, we spoke about the system mm. early, earlier on. You don't need to speculate. The data says everything that, oh. that you need it to. Um men of colour, black men in particular, mm. are underrepresented within uh, the mental health care um, system. Um, and because of the systemic prejudices that they faced in, in other areas, the reality is that our communities are too scared to ask for help. Mm. Um, and, you know, ultimately, um, that's why it's so important that Mind has a commitment to being an anti-racist organisation. Uh, it's part of our strategy. And as a trustee of the charity, I'm very privileged to uh, have a part in guiding us through that strategy. And we absolutely have to make mental health care equitable for all. Ro, I think this will be the first of many conversations. I think it's an important conversation that I think a lot of people need to hear and listen. And if we're open and honest, as we happen in this podcast, we can all speak about our own sort of journeys and your journey again fascinating thank you so much for coming on um, what uh, an interesting podcast that was mm-hmm. huge um, I think this could be the final one of the series it is the final, the final one of the, one the series, series. first to say we've gone out of a bang right? yeah we have gone out of a bang but honestly look if you have listened or watched this podcast and you do need to speak to someone I've done speaking therapy myself and I can tell you now it's helped me a tremendous amount go and speak to someone go and speak to someone um, that's the best thing you can do I'm lucky that I have this man every single thing, every single day <laughs> says, Are they go and talk to me. How was your day? <laughs> All the time, yeah, which he doesn't so. realise how important that is. So look, go and speak to someone. Don't do it alone. Um, we will have someone we can reach out to. And if not, then Mind. Uh, mind have always been there and they're helping a number of different people to go through the problems they're going through. So make sure you get in touch. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for watching it as well. And we'll see you in the next series. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> do, we, do we start the plan now? <laughs> Next series, leave a comment below. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, everyone. Tool Station are the proud sponsors of the Men's Room podcast on Talk Sport. Join the Tool Station Club today online, in store, or via the app, and you will save some money getting a 5% discount shopping with Tool Station, as well as a chance to get your hands on some fantastic prizes such as TVs gaming consoles, and even holidays. If all that isn't enough, then remember, if you sign up, then you'll get loads of exclusive discounts that aren't available anywhere else. 
That's the Tool Station Club. So make sure you join today online, in store, or via the app. Now hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.